Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hello, my friends, OG listeners and new pals alike. Today on the show, I have Lara Adler, who is an environmental toxin expert and educator. And this is a conversation you do not want to miss, whether you are a clinician, a practitioner, or you're just a, a listener, a consumer boy, do we have some good information for you. And every single time we enter into this conversation, I just feel like there is such potential for overwhelm. And we talk about this. And the way that I, the the reason that I love Lara is she presents this information, this really complex and important information in such a way that you get, you walk away with action steps that do not feel overwhelming. And oftentimes when I hear this conversation, it, it like I walk away with like thousands and thousands of dollars of things that I have to purchase. And we wanted to be super, super mindful of that in the show. And so I, I do, if you're hesitant to listen to this because you're going to be overwhelmed or feel like you have to like replace everything in your house, don't feel that way because she gives a lot of practical strategies, free strategies, uh, so we can be mindful of of the budget. And you know, last night or <laughs> last week, we were talking about our kitchen reno and I, I kept trying to make the point that like, we have been saving for this for years, right? Not everybody has the budget to do what we just did, but this has been a long time coming. We've been chipping away at this. It's not like I learned this and then one, you know, all this information one day and then threw out my couch and threw out my mattress and threw out all my furniture and like replaced it with all new. That isn't the case. I had to learn how to live within an environment that maybe had some less than ideal, uh, you know, ingredients or uh, chemical makeup. And, you know, that's that's a likely story for most of us. So just I just want to be really um, clear about that right out of the gate. So a little bit more on Lara, in case you're not familiar with her. She teaches health coaches, nutritionists, and other health professionals how to eliminate the number one thing holding their clients back from the results that they are seeking, the unaddressed link between chemicals and chronic health problems. She trains practitioners to become experts in everyday toxic exposure so they can improve client outcomes without spending hundreds of hours researching on their own. She combines environmental health education and business consulting. She's helped thousands of health professionals in over 25 countries. And she actually, this might be an, uh, an outdated bio because in our conversation, she's at over 30 countries when we were talking. Uh, elevate their skill set, get better results for their clients, and become sought-out leaders in the growing environmental health and detoxification field. Before we get into the episode, I want to shout out our show sponsor, Rigby Home, because 
I sought them out because I loved what they were doing. I thought their products were super beautiful and I wanted them inside my house. Um, so we talked about this in the last show. We we really were looking to get new dinner set. Our dinner set was old. It was chipped. It was mismatched. It was time for an up level. And because we have the exposed shelves in our kitchen, we wanted to you know, of course we built with health in mind, right? That was like the primary focus, but Scott's a designer. So design aesthetic is super important. And I just like really clean lines. I don't like clutter. And I wanted our home to reflect that. So we we did want to, Scott keeps calling it a curated kitchen because <laughs> every piece that we are putting in our kitchen is like hand selected by us which maybe sounds kind of douchey, but hey, it's like we want, we spend literally all of our time in our house. Scott and I both work from home. So like, can we make it look nice? Um, anyway, we wanted dishware that we could display. And so I found Rigby just doing some sleuthing and was really impressed, um, not just with their product from a design perspective, because they are a beautiful, but really from what they are doing. Um, it's a woman-owned company and they source everything Um, everything's created in Portugal and family-owned small factories. Um, The dinnerware is made from locally sourced clay. The uh, glassware is hand-blown by master glass blowers, um, which I'm well familiar with that that profession, and it it takes a lot of education and skill to master that. So the, the glasses are so cool. Um, I didn't think I would like like plain glasses so much. I'm just like, I get excited to fill up my water glass. It feels like like a little mini piece of artwork. Um, the the number one thing that I noticed when the packaging arrived was how eco-friendly the packaging was. No plastic used anywhere in their packaging. It's all made from post-consumer material. And it's like, that's the type of stuff. Those are the type of companies I want to invest in. You know, it's like a little, that little thing makes a huge difference in my eyes when I think about where we're spending a lot of money right now. I'm not going to lie. Where is that money going? You know, is it going into small local business, uh, small businesses and local craftsmen? Is it going into people who are doing good things with my money? I, you know, I am a consumer and I try to vote with my dollar and put my money into companies that I feel are doing really good things. And this, it was just, it would just felt like a real win-win. So check them out. They are kind enough to offer you 10% off your first order if you use the code FUNK. 10. So you can head to their website. We will link it up in the show notes. I, if you're thinking about holiday gifts, I highly recommend checking them out. They have beautiful, like anyone would be so stoked to get this, this dishware, the serving platters, the mugs would make a really, really cool gift. I got a set of the mint mugs. They're so pretty. Anyway, I could go on and on and on, but check them out and uh, consider them if you're looking for dinnerware or dishware. So I think the tricky part about environmental toxin exposure is that it's not always an immediate response. It's rarely an immediate response. So people, it's easy to ignore. It's easy to like push on the back burner and not think about it. It's not like you sit on a couch with flame retardants and immediately get an autoimmune disease, right? Or like a cold or like a sniffle. Now, of course, somebody with chemical sensitivities, you can't ignore it. It's really quite confronting. And I always joke that these are really like the canaries in the coal mine. These are the people that we should be paying attention to because if these things were really safe, then people wouldn't be having these reactions. But for the average person, it's not that cut and dry. Doing the clinical work that I do 
I see the downstream effects of environmental toxicity exposure. So I personally can't ignore it. And I do try to do my best to educate people and to share information. But for today's show, I really wanted to pull in the big guns and that's who I consider you to be. So welcome to the show. Laura Adler is here and I am beyond excited to talk to you today. Well, thank you for having me. I like that I'm considered a big gun. Um, uh, and yeah, this is, a, this is a big, vast, complicated, and sometimes overwhelming topic. So I think it's helpful to kind of meander through it and, and get a sense of the scale of the problem and how people might be affected and, and then kind of prioritize actions that people can take um, so that we're not just giving people information that's like, gonna blow their hair back in a bad way and then not give them anything to do. I know. And I I think your job is, is really tricky because how do you express the importance of this information? Like underscore, italicize, bold, you know, put in a bright color without sending somebody into sheer panic where they like become bubble boy. Or what I often see too, is just like this overwhelm where it's like the world is out to get me. It's too much. I can't do anything about it. So I'm just going to stick my head in the sand and completely ignore it. Right. And I think there's a balance, you know, and, and because I'm primarily working with health professionals, so people like you, I think it actually makes that part of it makes my job easier because the health professionals that I'm working with are already working with people whose health has been compromised in some way. And they're already seeking outside help to figure out what's going on. Um, And because most of the uh, people that I work with that are my students are kind of in this like functional integrative holistic space. Um, the Their clients and patients have kind of been through the ringer already with their health challenges. And so that kind of makes them more open to saying, okay, I've done all those other things. Those other things didn't work. What do I need to do? What am I missing? And so that kind of greases the wheels um, for the conversation a little bit when um, I'm, I'm talking, you know, when my students are talking to their clients and patients. Um, and, and what I always tell people is we need to, we can't just kind of blanket people with this information about like toxins are bad and your shampoo is going to make you fat. And like, we can't just kind of make these statements to people hoping that they'll care, right? That tends to not work. And so instead the approach that I really encourage Um, people to take is to connect a problem that somebody already is struggling with a hormone autoimmune digestive issues, because the reality is there's an environmental component to pretty much every single and sometimes acute health issues, whether it's a heart disease, um, you know, we have so much data on air pollution and heart disease. I just read an article or skimmed an article yesterday that said because of COVID-19 and reduced traffic and air travel, um, the rates of heart attacks have gone down because air pollution is directly correlated to heart attacks. So, you know, it's, it's wild. Anyway, so if we connect the thing that we're trying to communicate about some environmental hazard to a specific concern that somebody already knows they have, they're far more open and more receptive to learning about this topic than if we just went, you know, up to our neighbor and said, oh, did you know that your shampoo is toxic? They're going to go, great. Okay. What? (laughs) And that doesn't lead to, um, 
a, a powerful enough exchange. It's such an important thing. I mean, I teach clinicians too. And that's always the point that I'm underscoring is like, what's the problem that they identify with? What's the problem they know they have, because there's going to be so much more motivation to, to change behavior so they can improve the thing that they know they recognize is the issue. Yeah, And I think that's like, that's, that's it right there is that, that, that qualifier that the person who has the problem has to recognize it as a problem because like I can look at a million people and be like, I don't know what your problem is, right? And they're gonna go, that's not my problem. And I'm gonna go, well, you know, maybe it's contributing, but if they don't recognize quote unquote toxicity as a problem, they're not going to spend any time, money, energy, learning about it or making changes for the most part. There's always exceptions, of course, but like it is, is the clients that people are working with really have to recognize and be seeking a solution to a problem that they have. But that problem is very rarely environmental toxins. It is, like I said earlier, you know, digestive issues, skin issues, metabolic issues, immune system issues, fertility issues. Those are the problems that people are seeking to solve. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's far more powerful when we come at it through that lens. I think that's so, it, I, it, this makes me laugh because years ago I used to travel around and teach in-person workshops, like back when that was a thing. Remember? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I used would, uh, for like a year, year and a half, two years, I taught about digestive health, gut health, yeah. and those were always sold out like standing room only. Yeah. Everybody wanted to know because like everybody in the world, like either poops their pants or like has acid reflux, right? They're like, <laughs> yes. <"Yeah." laughs> Um, and then I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to create my new workshop and it's going to be all about environmental toxicities because, mm-hmm. at, you know, we see, yes. we see what's important yes. and I'm like, this is so important. People need to know about it. And it was like crickets, crickets, crickets. Yes. Crickets. Nobody cared. Nobody wanted it. They're like, don't want it. Don't need it. I'm not attending. So yes. it's, it's, and it's, it's not that they don't care about the information. It's they don't know why they should care about the information. And because they don't perceive that as, like I said, they don't perceive that as a problem. You know, I think the, the, way, the way that I kind of phrase it is like, we're all walking around in the world going like, look, I got 99 problems. And like, that's not one of them. And I'm here in the background going like, it's actually related to like half of those problems that you have, you just don't realize it yet. And so this is where health educators come in and health coaches and nutritionists and, and, and practitioners who are educated and informed about environmental health, where they can make those connections for people and say, you know, those, um, you know, those chronic hormone issues that you've been dealing with for so long. Um, you know, I think it's important that we discuss the hormone disrupting chemicals that you are being exposed to unintentionally every single day, multiple times a day, because that can have a huge impact on your symptoms and what's happening for you. And so when you make that, sometimes it's just a single, you know, sentence to kind of connect the dots for people. And then they're like, Oh, and then a workshop like that, if the title was different, right? If you were talking about, you know, the hidden hormone disruptors or the things that were trashing your hormones or the, you know, things like that, then people are willing to lean in and listen. So it's a, it's an interesting dynamic working with a professional audience um, because this part is often um, where people get hung up on communicating um, about environmental health and they struggle. And it's not that the, people don't want the information. It's just, we have to tweak the way that we deliver it. I bet people tuning into the show didn't think that they were going to get business advice. Well, it's there like, you go. It's a twofer, right? It's a twofer. Yeah. It's a twofer. 
Um, and layered onto that too, if we, we are so conditioned to, towards this quick fix mentality that people are looking for, like, what's the magic bullet? What's the easy solution? What can I do right now to make my problems go away and reducing or removing your exposure to environmental talk? It's not like a quick fix. You know, for some, in some instances, yes, it can be. So if people are having acute reactions like migraines or headaches or respiratory issues like asthma, or they're having allergic reactions, yes, immediate removal from the space will absolutely, um, if those things are the triggers, like fragrances are very often, fragrances and solvents um, are big triggers for people for both um, like headache, dizziness, migraines, those are more solvent uh, uh, type reactions that we see. And then if people have fragrances, even if they're natural fragrances, like essential oils, people can still have a respiratory reaction. They can have wheezing, they can have coughing. Um, and so if we take ourselves out of that space, we can immediately help our symptoms, um, and, and minimize or eliminate those symptoms. Um, I hear, I've heard this so from that, probably hundreds of people over the last decade, if not more that like, they can't walk down the cleaning aisle of like a regular grocery store because they get an immediate headache. So how do they avoid that headache? They avoid that aisle, right? Absolutely. So, so yeah. there are instances when the, the, um, avoidance or reduction of exposure can have an immediate um, benefit to somebody, but that's not as common. And that typically is only in these more acute reactions. Um, when we're talking about things like, you know, thyroid disorders or autoimmune conditions or digestive issues, gut issues, um, uh, fertility issues, it's not like that. It's not um, a I did this thing, I used this shampoo, I ate this food, and immediately I'm having this toxic reaction. And so um, that makes it hard navigating this because people don't, it's like an invisible threat, right? So people don't see, um, they don't connect, oh, these chronic digestive issues that I've had for decades, I'm sure primarily it's going to be a food problem, but there are so many environmental toxins that can interfere with our gut microbiome that can lead to leaky gut that can cause downstream autoimmune flares just through that mechanism alone. And so it's like, this is what happens when I said earlier, people were like, oh, I've done all the things, right? I've cleaned up my diet, I've minimized my stress, but they're still doing all of these things or using all of these products that are exposing them to toxic compounds that are just as bad in terms of, again, to use the example of like gut permeability, um, as maybe some of these other things that, that they'd already cleaned up. And then they're scratching their heads going, I've, I've done everything. I don't understand. Can you elaborate on that? People that listen to the show are goo goo gaga for leaky gut, you know, it's like, yeah. so you are like, you are definitely, I think that's an entry point into this particular audience. People are like, yeah. what can I do for my leaky gut? I'm like, Oh, <laughs> you know? well, there's like a hundred things you can do, right? Like, like that's, you do all the things, <laughs> right? How do I heal my leaky gut? So can you talk about the connection between uh, barrier system breakdown and permeability and environmental toxins. Yeah, I mean, what's there's a um, there's a couple of ways that that happens, and um, you know, the research in this space is newer, mostly because so is most of the research into gut health and intestinal permeability and stuff like that. Um, but we do know that there are certain chemicals, including like BPA, 
way, which we know is ubiquitous, found primarily in plastics and, and canned foods and, and thermal receipts and things like that, um, is that we know that that can lead to a breakdown in um, the lining of the gut and that can lead to inflammatory bowel disease. Um, it can lead to that um, uh, uh, just general inflammation of the gut, which is part of what sort of cascades into leaky gut. It's part of that, um, uh, the chain of events that can lead to leaky gut. And so we, we, we do have data that shows that some of these environmental chemicals at the levels that we are typically exposed to can in certain circumstances lead to these kinds of um, leaky gut uh, symptoms. And then, like I said earlier, the downstream effects of that, whether that's skin issues or, or hormone issues or autoimmune issues um, because of the leaky gut, right? There's always this like peeling of that onion to be like, well, what's causing this? Oh, it's this. Okay. Well, what's causing that? Okay. Well, let's figure that out so that we can fix this thing. Um, and that's complicated and that takes time. And I think that's where that frustration builds when people are like, can you just fix this for me? And I'm like, mm-hmm or anybody, I'm sure you get that too. And you're like, well, yeah, probably, but like, it's going to take a while and you have to do all these things. Um, so like there really just isn't a quick fix for most things. And especially in the environmental health space, unfortunately. That's it. I mean, the way that my services are set up, it's like, it's, it's a relationship. You know, I, I always like to put the lay the expectations out from out of the gate. So people aren't like, Oh, I just have one appointment and all my dreams are actual. No, it's a process. It's such a process. And it's like, you're not failing. Your body's not failing. You're not wrong. You're not doing something bad. If it is a process like healing is a process. Yeah. I mean, it's like, we didn't get into this situation overnight. We can't expect to get out of it overnight. And I think the thing that's really complicated, um, just to add even more complexity to the environmental health space topic is that, you know, sometimes, you know, we may have, for example, prenatal exposures. So while we're in utero, we're getting exposed to toxicants that can lead to both short-term health effects, right? Maybe it's something like preterm birth um, or longer-term health effects, like, hey, that exposure that you got in utero might be part of why you're having metabolic or heart disease issues in adulthood. And so, and that's referred to in the literature as like the fetal basis or fetal origins of adult disease. So like some of those adult diseases, the origin of that actually starts during fetal development. And when we have environmental chemicals that are responsible and we see that, you know, obviously we're not doing, first of all, we don't test chemicals on animal, on uh, humans. Um, And then we're not doing like, you know, uh, 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 following a cohort of people for their entire lives, right? Like we don't do that. It's just too expensive. Um, we do animal studies to kind of replicate that as best as we can. Um, but we do see that, that those, those early life exposures can lead to adult disease. Um, but then the other thing is, even if it doesn't matter when that exposure happens, whether it's in during fetal development or as a child, sometimes the Um, It might take 10, 20, or 30 years for disease to manifest after you've had all these exposures and then the exposures are ongoing. And so because of that, it makes the um, kind of teasing out of like, who's to blame? Like we always want to, in the same way that we always want a quick fix, we always want to like be able to point our finger at one thing and be like, ha ha, it was that. 
Yeah. And, and when it comes to environmental toxins, it's so hard to do that. Like certainly there's instances where we can say, Hey, this groundskeeper who is spraying, you know, Roundup pesticide or herbicide, you know, for X number of years develops leukemia. Well, we know that that connection exists. So yeah, we can put those things together. You know, we know, okay, somebody who smoked cigarettes and now they have lung cancer, like, okay, like we can put those things together. Um, but it's harder when we're talking about chemicals that are so ubiquitous in commerce. So I'll talk about like phthalates, for example, phthalates are a um, well-established endocrine disrupting chemical. They're used in tens of thousands of products, um, hundreds of thousands of products globally. They're used in plastics to make plastics soft and flexible. So think of things like a plastic a vinyl shower curtain or um, a Halloween masks, so those like soft rubbery Halloween masks that we just put over our faces and smell really bad. That's what you're smelling or phthalates. Um, to things like garden hoses, to um, soft plastics that we might use for food packaging. And then it's used in um, fragrance uh, products as a fixative. So all of the scented products, whether it's an air freshener or a laundry detergent or perfume or your makeup or your you know toilet bowl cleaner, whatever, your little thing hanging in there over the uh, rear view mirror of your car. Um, these are endocrine disrupting chemicals. And the problem is um, because we're being exposed in so many places at so many times during the day, like how do we point the finger and say it was my shampoo? It was my deodorant. It was, it wasn't, it was all of them. That is, right? I, yeah. And I am somebody who with chemical sensitivity and I talk about it, it makes me so enraged how ubiquitous yes. fragrance is yeah. um, because in a, like that phthalates that like makes it stick. You hug somebody and you smell like them for, yes. or we use dryer sheets and then like the, the clothes smell I've gotten like hand-me-down clothes that I had yes. to like just pass on. Cause I washed them 27 times. I'm like, why do they still smell? This yeah. is not normal. This is not yeah. normal. <laughs> yeah, they shouldn't. And it's really hard. And, 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 you know, it, we all, I mean, CDC tests for chemical metabolites, um, in the human population. Um, they don't tell us what the effects are, but this is just through human biomonitoring, uh, data. And I think the, the figure for phthalates is like 93% of people tested by the CDC have metabolites of phthalates. And, you know, certainly the presence of a chemical being measured in the human body does not necessarily mean that that's bad. However, when we look at the data and what we know about um, these chemicals in particular, you know, phthalates, it's a very, very well-researched chemical um, class of chemicals, I should say. There's a lot of different types of phthalates. Um, uh, and we look at the, the animal data on health effects and exposure levels and, and how these chemicals behave um, once they're in the body, like that's when we're like, okay, these are, these are a problem. These are a problem and they're everywhere, everywhere. And, and I'll say this is, you know, phthalates and, and certainly this applies to other compounds as well, but phthalates are non-persistent chemicals. And I think that distinction is really important. So there's persistent chemicals. These are things like DDT, like heavy metals, um, like these PFAS chemicals, these perfluoral alkyl substances that people are probably hearing more and more about. These are the like non-stick chemicals. Um, they're highly persist persistent. They don't break down. They build up in tissues. They build up in bodies. Then we have non-persistent chemicals that our bodies are actually very good at being able to metabolize and break down very quickly. So um, some chemicals, uh, I, I don't remember if this was BPA or phthalates specifically, um, they're metabolized in six to 12 hours. So they're in and out. Now, just because they're in and out 
doesn't mean that they're not problematic because the short time that they're in our bodies, they can still um, uh, uh, cause problems. They can go in and flip these hormonal switches and, and kind of mess with the wiring in our bodies and then peace out. And we're like, we're good. And when we're looking at the uh, urinary metabolite levels of things like phthalates and BPA, which are in 98%, I think it's 98% for BPA, um, that tells us that our exposure is constant. It doesn't matter if, we're if we can metabolize them every six to 12 hours. If we're taking them in faster than we can break them down, our levels are constant. So what that tells us is avoidance behavior. That means minimizing our exposure, stopping or slowing the amount that's actually coming into the body means that the body can metabolize and finally eliminate what's in the body at any given time. But we have to give it a chance to do that. And we do that through avoidance. All right. So this is probably the point where people are like feeling kind of hot and sweaty. Their yeah, heart's okay, racing. They're like, holy <laughs> shit, this is overwhelming. So why don't we talk about the avoidance? Maybe yeah, yes. in your estimation, what are three of the most toxic things that people are getting exposed to in our home, in their homes that, mm. that, that they should be aware of that um, they can start to chip away at that like whole yeah. thing? So I'm actually going to use a different lens to look at this through because the what's the most toxic is relative, right? What is somebody's weak link genetically? Um, what is somebody's susceptibility? If they have autoimmune, then there's certain chemicals that we know are linked to autoimmune conditions that they would want to prioritize. If somebody's dealing with the thyroid related issues, there's specific types of chemicals that we know directly target the thyroid for that person. That's the lens. So I don't look at it as um, let's prior prioritize through most toxic because sometimes the most toxic things are the hardest to change. So the flame retardants in an old couch that you might have, those are some of the most toxic if we're really talking about health effects, direct health effects. And it's one of the hardest things for people to get rid of because it's so expensive. Right. And so people aren't going to be like, oh, I just learned this new thing and I'm going to go buy a new $3,000 couch and dump the old one, even though it looks perfectly fine. So it's, I feel like that, that um, relative toxicity lens doesn't always make it easy for people to take action. So instead I look through this lens of what are the exposures that are most common that have the easiest solutions? Um, because it allows the, it, it kind of takes that barrier of, um, overwhelm because then people look around their houses and they're like, my carpeting, my, my vinyl flooring, whatever. And then they are like, well, I have to burn my whole house down and start all over. And then they go, well, I'm just not going to do it. Right. Right. So we want to set people up for success. Um, we know this in the, in the, in the coaching model, when we're working with clients, we don't want to give them a long, giant long list of like completely change all your food overnight baby steps. So if we're looking at it through that lens, through like, what are the exposures that are the most common that I, that, and what are the actions that are the um, easiest and most impactful? The first and foremost is um, uh, home fragrances, right? All of the plugins, the air fresheners, reed diffusers, incense, um, all of those, any, you know, any spray, even a scented candles, even if you're not burning the scented candle, they still are problematic. And these um, fragranced products, in addition to releasing volatile organic compounds, things like benzenes and toluenes, which are well-established carcinogens, um, they're also releasing these phthalates. And phthalates are a, what are called an SVOC or a semi-volatile compound, organic compound. Um, the S sometimes is 
Um, we sometimes say it's a sticky volatile organic compound because it sticks around, it sticks on your surfaces, right? Mm -hmm. And so this is why, for example, this is one of the reasons why, um, you know, you can walk into a home that the previous owner was a smoker and you know that. Why? Because that's, those compounds are stuck to the walls. They're embedded in the floors. So the, that's, a, that's a whole other conversation. But um, with these scented products, we are um, heavily polluting the indoor air. Every breath that we take in when we're breathing in these fragranced compounds, um, we are inhaling these chemical molecules into our body. The fastest way for something to get into our bloodstream outside of an injection is inhalation. And so when we're breathing these things in, we are breathing in hormone disrupting and carcinogenic compounds. And it's not like, oh, well, the amount is so small. Yeah, okay, the amount is small, but every breath that you take in your home for all the hours, especially since now in COVID, people are spending more and more time at home. So the first thing is just ditch those products, stop buying them and get rid of them. Even if you have like the scented candle that you don't burn, it's still, if you can smell it, though, and even if you can't smell it, it's still releasing these compounds. The Environmental Protection Agency has found that the um, air quality inside people's homes can be five to 10, all the way up to 100 times worse than air that's outside. And there are federal regulations for air pollution outside, but there's no regulations governing the air inside someone's private home. So... <laughs> You know, we bring all of these materials into our homes um, that are unintentionally releasing or off-gassing chemicals into the air that we breathe. And scented candles are one of those big culprits. So two are household cleaners. So really strong chemical household cleaners. These all have fragrance products as uh, fragrance compounds as well. Um, these are some of the major indoor air pollutants. Um, and, uh, you know, we spend... 93% of our lives, some, this was a study from many years ago, but found that Americans spend 93% of our lives in the built environment. So that's between your home office and car. And there's almost fragrance, there's typically fragrances in all those places, all the places. right? All those places. And so um, the first thing is just get rid of those scented products and you can, you're just going to be doing yourself a huge favor. The second thing is open your windows. Like this is such a, People wouldn't think that this is an intervention, but it is um, because, as I mentioned, we have all this indoor air pollution and we want to let that out. Um, in the 1970s and 80s, we started building our homes differently in the United States for this energy efficiency because we had this OPEC oil embargo, oil prices were really high. And so we were like, OK, well, we need to you know, save money on heating and cooling costs. We're going to build our homes to be really airtight. And that was great from an energy efficiency standpoint, but terrible from a public health standpoint, because we have now this, these hot boxes that are trapping all of these chemicals that are off-gassing. You know, if we, we spray an air freshener um, in the air, it's not like those molecules just like vanish. Like we, you know, we can't see them, we can smell them, but they then settle on your furniture. They settle in the dust in your house. Um, and so, Notice scented products, open your windows. And then this is so boring to talk about, but I think it's so important is to dust and vacuum is huge. That's bullshit, Lara. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no one wants to trust me. I don't want to do it. I've been walking past my dresser in my bedroom, literally looking at the dust on it going like, I should 
dust that for like two weeks now and I haven't done it. Um, so, you know, I'm right there with you. No one wants to do it. And house dust is a composite. It's not just like of uh, dander and pet hair and, and, you know, little skin cells and clothing fibers. It's also lead and, and phthalates and pesticides and, and uh, toxins that are coming in on the soles of your shoes because you walked across a golf course or a public park or your neighbor who puts pesticides on their lawn. Um, it's if you live in an urban area, you've got car exhaust, which are particulate matter, soot, polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, all of these highly toxic compounds, and they're in the dust in our homes. And so we want to take that dust out and, and not like feather dusting. I'm talking like a wet cloth, one that we can either throw away or throw in the washing machine and we want to vacuum. And there's actually been, um, at least one intervention study that where researchers looked at like, Hey, what happens to levels of flame retardants in people's bodies? Um, when they, implement increased hand washing and increased house cleaning. And they're like, great, we can drop the levels of flame retardants um, in somebody's body by around 45 to 50% in about a week. Wow. That's huge. That's huge motivation to clean more. Yeah. So like it's, you know, again, no one loves it. I don't love it, but we do it. We wet dust and we wet mop and we help, and that's part of what helps us kind of clean up our home air environment. So if we ditch the scented candles and the, you know, household cleaners that are, are, you know, loaded with fragrances and we switch to, you know, safer, non-toxic cleaning products and we open our windows and we vet wet dust and vacuum like that in and of itself can have a dramatic effect on indoor air quality. And all of these things cost zero dollars. Yes. Yes. So often this conversation is a privileged one, which, you know, quite frankly is bullshit. I think, you know, having, you know, being born into an unpolluted world should be a birthright and absolutely is not. But a lot of when we hear these conversations that a lot of the overwhelm comes from like exactly your point. It's like, I have to buy a new couch. I have to buy a new bed. I have to buy a new mattress. I can't do that. I think of, um, uh, the, the, uh, the other framework that I like to sort of prioritize or triage these exposures is like start with free and easy, right? Because we want people, we want this to be accessible. And you're absolutely right. There's an enormous disparity between um, exposures and, and low income and black and brown communities that have the highest levels of exposures to environmental toxins and often have the least access, not only to healthy food and green outdoor space, therefore fresh air, but these more expensive, healthier products. There was a really powerful um, piece. I think it was on like PBS. This was probably 10 years ago. I wish I had noted down where it was from, but I've been talking about it ever since and I haven't been able to um, find, find it. But there was, it was, this was in some like urban, very urban city like Detroit um, in a very low income community where the rates of childhood asthma were really, really high, which is very, Um, normal, not good, but it's normal when we have high pollution rates in urban environments, um, in low-income housing, where there's just poor air quality in general, and then they have children that have higher rates of asthma. And this was a intervention pilot program paid for by the city that said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to um, go into people's homes that have children that have asthma, um, because there was a huge financial burden. So think about a low-income family that has a kid that has asthma and has to go to the hospital. So um, asthma attacks 
uh, are, I think, one of the top, if not the top reason for um, uh, children's hospitalizations for children under five years old. Um, and if somebody has an hourly job and they have to leave a day of work, lose a day of work to go take their kid to the hospital. So not only are they losing revenue, but they have now hospital bills to pay. So it's a huge economic burden on a community. Um, and so this a uh, little program went in and said, okay, we're going to go into people's homes. We have a, a cleaning crew and we're going to do a deep clean of your house using all non-toxic cleaners. We're going to pull back the fridge and get rid of all the like, you know, roach and mice feces, because those are huge environmental allergen uh, and respiratory triggers. And then we're going to educate the parents on using vinegar and baking soda to clean and not using harsh chemicals. And then we're gonna teach them how to use a nebulizer. And that was the whole intervention. And the rates of um, uh, hospitalizations in children like plummeted. So this was like a almost free intervention, right? It was cleaning and using different cleaners. Had immediate impact on childhood asthma. So I feel like I'm like not even saying anything because I'm choked up because I could cry right now. I I mean, the number of times that I have talked about this one small intervention because it made, I was like, when I watched, I was like, why is every city not doing this? This is a, 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 as far as, you know, public health interventions go, this is pennies. This is nothing to hire, you know, a team of people to come in and do a, a clean and then sit down with the parents and say, hey, here's, here's, you want to avoid these types of cheap, highly scented um, household cleaners and these laundry products. And here's what you want to use instead. And that's it. Let's take a quick break to thank our show sponsor, BioCult. Their boosted product is a multi-strain probiotic, four times the concentration of the original formula, which is why I prefer it. All of their probiotic strains are backed by clinical research. It really makes a great everyday probiotic. I just had somebody on Instagram reach out and say, this stuff has changed me. Thank you. So it's a great product. And the cool thing about it is that there's no need to refrigerate it. So you can take it with you when you're traveling, which I highly recommend because most of our guts get really jacked up when we're off our schedule, when we're traveling, when we're doing things that we don't normally do. So taking a probiotic with you is a good bet. You can give it to your kiddos. Those, uh, the capsules can break apart. You can sprinkle it into yogurt or oatmeal or add it to a drink. This is what I do for Hattie. I put in a little shot glass with a bit of water and she just shoots it down. So head to their website using the link in our show notes. Use code FUNK15 to save 15% off of your order. We also want to thank our other show sponsor, Organifi. If you're interested in hormonal health, I suggest you check out their Harmony Blend. It was specifically designed for PMS support to help balance out female hormones and to give you a little energy boost with the adaptogenic herbs that they use like Shatavari and Maca. So it's a cacao and Maca blend. I happen to love those two flavors together. So tasty. Uh, We also have ginger and turmeric added to the mix. So it's kind of like a spicy treat. Chase tree berries also featured, which is an herb that has been long shown to support female hormones. So I highly recommend that product. It's really tasty. You could also look into their gold powder, one of their best sellers. That's a turmeric ginger blend. Both are anti-inflammatory. And listen, menstruation, having a period is a naturally inflammatory process. And so if you're experiencing 
wonkiness during those times of the month, uh, it's not terribly uncommon, especially if you have underlying inflammatory stuff going on. It kind of just throws a little bit of gasoline on the fire. So doing anti-inflammatories during your period is a smart bet. Turmeric and ginger are two things that I highly recommend. Uh, this product gold also has lemon balm and magnesium. Both of those are calming and soothing and can really, I mean, I drink it all the time, not just when I'm on my period, but it's a really good tool if you do have PMS symptoms. Both of these blends, the Harmony and the Gold, are great for post-meal sweet treats. You mix a little bit with either hot water. I personally like it with non-dairy milk. And uh, if you're somebody who has a sweet tooth, check them out. Head to Organifi.com forward slash funk. So that's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash funk or use code funk to save you 20% on any of your orders. So, it's a huge impact. So incredible. Yeah. Um, so those are all free and easy, yes. maybe not easy, but definitely free. Let's yes. get into questions where people are talking about like purchasing new yes. items yes. And by a country mile. The biggest question that I got was about cookware. Everybody wants to know about cookware. Yes. And I know you've talked about this a lot. So, oh my gosh, so much. Let's dive in. Let's dive in. Okay. So, I mean, uh, it, to me, it's a yes. And so I'm happy to go down this road of cookware. Um, and on the totem pole of things to change, it's, it's near the top. It's not at the top. So the other things that I'm like, certainly organic food, minimizing pesticides use, minimizing plastics in the kitchen. I actually think those come before cookware, but people love to cook and they want to, um, you know, know that they're, what they're using every single day to cook their food on is healthy for them. So first and foremost are the things that we want to avoid. Um, and that's nonstick coated um, cookware of any kind, um, including, you know, non-stick cookware that markets itself as being PFOA free or PTFE free. Um, both of those compounds are perfluoroalkyl substances. These are PFAS chemicals. They're also referred to as forever chemicals because they never break down. So every molecule of these chemicals that has ever been created still exists in the environment and in us. 99.99% um, of people tested by the CDC have metabolites of these forever chemicals in our bodies. And the um, ex level of exposure that is linked to harm is extraordinarily low. And so um, we just don't want to encounter these, these compounds um, at all. And unfortunately, they are ubiquitous at this point. So cookware is a exposure source or a potential exposure source. It's not actually the primary one. That's going to be in things like food packaging or contaminated drinking water. But these PFAS chemicals, um, I mentioned earlier, there are certain com compounds that target thyroid. This is one of them. Um, and the reason is because of the presence of a fluorine element. So perfluoroalkyl substances is an indicative that it contains uh, fluorine. Um, fluorine on the periodic table of elements is right there along with chlorine and bromine and iodine, which are thyroid needs, right? And so what happens is these um, halogenated chemicals, it's the halogen column on the periodic table, those halogenated chemicals kick iodine out of our thyroid. And we need a perfect, iodine is like one of those Goldilocks, right? We need just enough, but not too much, not too little. Well, these 
um, halogenated compounds come in and they displace iodine in the thyroid and they can lead to thyroid disease um, and the downstream consequences of low thyroid, um, which in and of itself can, can be hugely like a giant long list. Um, and so we want to avoid these nonstick pans. The problem with the marketing, and this is where people get confused. I get like the, the number of DMs I get where people are like <laughs> at Costco and they're sending me a photo of a product. They're like, can I get this? And I'm like, ha, like, <laughs> no, um, just no. If it says nonstick, it's just a no. And so the, the problem here is PTFE and PFOA are, as I mentioned, these are what we often see in the marketing of these products. Like, oh, are nonstick pans PFOA free? Great. Nice story, bro. So are all of the nonstick pans because PFOA was phased out in 2008. So it's, it's bullshit marketing. Um, it's deceptive marketing. There's over 4,000 chemicals in this class, most of which um, we don't have data on at all. And yet they all have similar characteristics. And so what happens is in the same way that, that um, product manufacturers of plastics that utilized BPA took BPA out, in plastics because consumers were like, BPA is bad. And they said, okay, okay, we'll take it out. And then they just put in BPS or BPF, which are molecularly nearly identical chemicals. They're sister chemicals. They behave the exact same way. Data shows that in some instances, these alternative or these replacement bisphenols are just as bad, if not worse. The same thing happens with these perfluoroalkyl substances. It's a game of whack-a-mole. You whack one down and 10 more pop up in its place. And so it's easier than to just say, you know what? This entire concept of nonstick cooking, which by the way, was popularized one because of ease of cleaning, but two from the low fat cooking trend, mm. which like, we know that that's bogus. Like we know low fat eating is a disaster. And so, um, do we, do we, because there's still nutritional guidelines. Oh, there are. I know. I know. What fucking year is it right now? Uh, Well, it's like 1978 apparently. (laughs) So anyway, um, so we want to avoid these nonstick pans at all costs. Um, the primary issue with these pans is when they're heated to higher temperatures, Um, And people, I just got this question yesterday, if I, or two days ago, if I put a piece of parchment paper over my nonstick cookie sheet, is that going to be sufficient? And the answer is no, because the chemicals that are released are released as gases. So it doesn't, like a physical barrier is not going to do anything if your oven cavity is, is clouded with these, um, these fluorine gases. Um, And, you know, you mentioned earlier this canary in a coal mine. Um, PFAS compounds uh, in cookware uh, kind of creates this literal canary in a coal mine in that um, people who are bird owners, like as pets, um, know that they can't have um, nonstick cookware in the house because, and it'll even tell you this in the literature um, uh, of, you know, cookware items on their websites deep in their FAQs or whatever, um, that uh, because the respiratory systems of birds are so sensitive, that's why they were literally used as canaries in coal mines, where if the oxygen level would low, was low, the canaries would stop chirping because they all dropped dead and the miners were like, oh shit, we better get out of here, right? And so the respiratory system of birds is very delicate and the cooking of um, uh, using of nonstick pans in a house that has birds can lead to fatalities of those birds, like very quickly. And so like, I don't know, that kind of says something <laughs> to me, even if we didn't have mountains of scientific data showing that like these are harmful in lots of other ways, 
that's a problem. Um, in humans, that same gas can uh, lead to something called tef Teflon toxicosis or the Teflon flu, sort of colloquially known. And that's just, you have flu-like symptoms from this exposure to these fluorine gases um, that were released from your cookware. So I just, like to me, because we know that there's safer options, why would we take that risk just for the ease of like, not having to clean your pan or scrub your pan. That just seems stupid. I mean, it, I think it speaks to the culture of that. We're just like burnt out, burnt out, burnt out, pushed all the way to the edge. I mean, people are like, I don't have time to cook healthy. Never mind clean a pan. Do you know what I mean? It's yes. like, well, so here's, bonkers. The, here's the, the beauty is when we start looking, I want to ceramic nonstick because that's a whole other yes. realm, but cast cast iron, um, cast iron and carbon steel, although they do require a little bit more babying than a nonstick pan, um, the interior surface of those pans when seasoned correctly can be pretty close to the nonstick performance of a nonstick pan. So my cast iron cookware, like I can fry an egg and literally sh shimmy it out of the pan right? Like I can do that. And people are like, Oh my God, how do you do that? Well, it's just because of the way that I use it and the way that it's seasoned. And, and, and that's a learning curve for sure. People still struggle with how to use those materials, but, um, uh, we can achieve a similarly lazy approach ish to our cookware if we use well-seasoned cast iron. So, but I want to go back to the ceramic nonstick because this is the new generation of yes. nonstick cookware. And yes. this is the like our place and caraway and green pan and yes. all of these, uh, uh, super popular brands. Listen, they got my husband because we just did a kitchen <laughs> run out and he's like, caraway, they're non-toxic. We're going to get all new things. And I was like, hold the phone. I'm talking to Lara and she's yes. going to okay, tell you no. <laughs> So, so here's the thing. It's I, I, because of all the things that I know about in this space, my viewpoint is not is very wide. It's not as narrow as like, is it toxic? Yes or no. And then my, my thought process stops. I'm also looking at broader environmental effects and materials usage and, you know, the waste stream and all of these things. So the, from what we know now, which is not that much because there is no legal disclosure requirements for materials, um, or compounds or ingredients that are used in the manufacture of these types of products. It's not like food ingredients where like you, you have to disclose. And even then we know that that's not, doesn't always happen. Um, so what that means is that the consumer is relying on the marketing that the company is putting out. That's our, our only, like we're assuming they're being truthful. Like that's just an assumption, right? And so what we know now, again, based on very little scientific data is that um, these ceramic nonstick pans appear, they're not perfluorinated compounds. So they're not using PFAS compounds, which is great. That's a plus, wonderful. Um, they typically appear, they seem to appear, uh, seem to have a silicon-based um, uh, uh, coating on the inside. Um, and there doesn't appear to be any significant toxicity issues or any real toxicity issues with those pans. However, they are not durable. So those pans don't last. I've posted a couple of times on my Instagram about why I don't recommend ceramic nonstick. And the number of people that have commented, it is wild. That are I like, love tucking my, myself right into those comments on your oh, posts. It's, 
So good because I mean, hundreds of people that are like, yep, I had a caraway, a my, an hour place, a, you know, whatever green skin, green pan. And it lasted six months before it started to get sticky. And then it just was like a crap pan. So we had to throw it out. And then I'm like, okay, so cool. You just bought two pans in the course of six months because you had to replace that one. And there were a couple comments where people were like, yeah, I've replaced mine three times. And I'm like, I would like, what's that expression? Like, you know, fool me once, shame on me. (laughs) Fool me twice, shame on however that goes. Shame on you, shame on me. But like, why would you spend, like, I have not purchased new cookware in 15 years. That's what I was just saying. Cookware college. You yeah. literally have the same pants. I'm in my forties, late mid forties. Oh, I said late forties. God. Um, mid, mid, mid forties. Correction. Um, correction. Um, and I've had the same cookware since college. Um, our cookware is supposed to last. There is absolutely no reason why our landfills should be getting clogged up with our place and, and uh, caraway and green pants, but they are. And the company knows this and they're like, well, it's, you know, and I'm like, that's not sustainable at all. So it's a waste of money and it's a waste of, of, of resources. And it's a, it's polluting, um, you know, clogging up our landfills. So for that reason, it, that's why I don't recommend them. It's not because I think there's any significant health issues. Um, for that reason, with you're them. out. Yes. You're out. Yeah. Yes. You're out. Um, and um, so those are my you know, avoid those, avoid aluminum cookware. Um, this is the like aluminum cookie sheets. And we often see this in the, in the baking realm more often. Um, but we see a lot of cheap, like, you know, you go to target, you go to, um, you know, a, a Walmart or whatever, and you see cookware and they have these like very low cost aluminum pans. Don't recommend that aluminum leeches. Um, it's a non-essential metal, uh, we don't need it. Um, we don't have fully established, um, you know, fully settled science on um, all of the health risks associated with aluminum exposure, but it's just not necessary. So we have associations. We don't necessarily have causal effect. Um, people like to say, you know, aluminum causes Alzheimer's. No, we don't actually know that. Um, from what I've read in the literature, um, there is an association between aluminum and Alzheimer's, but we don't know if it's causative. And so, but people will jump, they jump to, because we like to distill things into like the simplest, easy answer, quick fix. This is the thing to blame. It's not quite as simple as that, but I think it's, it's good to avoid um, aluminum in our cookware. Um, Where I have a thumbtack in that as an asterisk is when we have stainless steel cookware that has an aluminum core. So stainless steel is my, I have lots of stainless steel. I mostly use cast iron, but I still have a lot of stainless steel. Um, It's not perfect. So there are a lot of people in this space and I'm sure Aaron, that you have encountered some of these where they're like hyper perfectionist and everything has to be like hundred percent clean and non-toxic or hundred percent like there, this is the, um, what is it called with uh, orthorexia with food, right? Like where they're like, no, 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 I cannot eat out ever because they use vegetable oil and I can't eat that because it's inflammatory, right? And then they're like, have absolutely zero joy in their lives because they've like packed it all out, right? Um, And so I see that in this space as well. And so, yes, we do know that stainless steel can leach some metals like chromium and nickel because they're used in those materials. But I think relative to the other types of materials that we have to work with, it's so much better. 
And unless somebody knows that they have an issue, and this is where we get into the multiple chemical sensitivities realm, where this is a smaller subset of people that are highly, highly sensitive, sure, then those people maybe stainless steel is not right for them. But for the vast majority of people, I think it is completely fine cookware material to use. But you, this is where people get hung up, is stainless steel is a terrible conductor of heat. It's just not very good. So what manufacturers do is they put a layer at the bottom of aluminum. It's called an aluminum core. And they do that because aluminum is a great conductor of heat. So they're trying to add more heat conductivity and even cooking to their stainless steel pan with this aluminum core. So all clad do, does this. Um, or at least they had do it on some models uh, or lines of their cookware, um, but it's fully encased in stainless steel. So you're, there's no food contact whatsoever with the aluminum. So in those instances, like, cause again, I get DMs that are like, it's, it's stainless steel, but it says it has aluminum. I'm like, it's an aluminum core. It's not concerning from a health standpoint, right? So and it's certain- not like the nonstick chemicals that are going to be gas. So you're going to be like, you know, like the aluminum. Yeah. It's also like, yeah, it's typically enclosed anyway. So it's literally like encased in stainless steel and you don't even see that it has an aluminum core. Um, it's not in contact with your food. So I just, these are some of the, um, because anytime I post anything about anything, people are like, yeah, but, and I'm like, okay. Yeah. yeah, Butters. You gotta love the yeah. Butters. What would this world be without the yeah. Butters helping, helping us all. (laughs) So, um, we want to avoid aluminum. We want to avoid nonstick. Um, the other thing, and this is less common, but we want to be careful with um, like imported and even, um, uh, you know, domestic clay cookware because clay is a mind, you know, it's a natural from the earth. And so there can be um, heavy metal contamination uh, like lead and um, cadmium in some of those materials. And then certainly if those um, clay pots or dishes are glazed, then the glaze itself can contain um metals. And so I usually even like, let's just leave that as a decorative item, like if you have those. And so what we want to be looking for instead are materials that we know to be durable, long lasting, and don't have negative health effects. And so that's stainless steel, cast iron, carbon steel, enameled cast iron, things like glass, um, and then even enamelware, which is enamel coated aluminum usually, but again, it's encased. And so unless it's enamel is chipped, then I don't have a concern with those materials. But those are the ones that we, that I, I recommend. Um, and, you know, cast iron is my favorite. I have, I love my cast iron. I'm like so obsessive about it. Um, um, but cast iron is really heavy for a lot of people. So they're, especially if people are elderly or have joint or mobility issues. Um, and then I recommend carbon steel, carbon steel and cast iron have the exact same properties, but carbon steel is like super thin and lightweight. So if we think of a traditional wok, like a Chinese wok, that's carbon steel, super thin and super lightweight. It behaves the same way as cast iron and you treat it the same way. So that means, you know, it needs to be seasoned. You can't put it wet in the cabinet or it's going to rust. You need to dry it out and give it a good coating of oil. So there's like ways to kind of, you do have to baby these materials a little bit, but man, when you get a good like fried egg that just slides off your cast iron, it, there's like a pride. There's like this sense <laughs> of pride where you're like, I did it. I did it. I put in work to get here. I put in work to this. And, and yeah, so, um, I, I just, I love cast iron a lot. Do you have, so you just named a bunch of different, um, materials. Do you have any like favorite brands that you could shout out for people? Yes. Um, so 
if people, I'll, I'll do it this way. If people are on a budget, go with Lodge cast iron. Um, it's super inexpensive. You can get like a 10 inch griddle, which is great for like pancakes and fried eggs for like $20 brand new. So their line is very inexpensive. They also have really inexpensive enameled cast iron. So the um, brand that everybody loves for enameled cast iron is Le Creuset, but they're so expensive. Yeah. And it's like, I think unnecessarily so. And so Lodge makes enameled cast iron. That's just as good, way cheaper. You can get like a six quart pot with a lid for like $60. So really inexpensive. Um, Target sells these things. Like you can go to Target and Walmart and get these really inexpensively. Even Home Goods. Home Goods has a lot of crap on their shelves in terms of cookware, but they almost always have good enameled cast iron. Um, So from a cost perspective, Go with those the those brands. My favorite my favorite um, uh, cast iron pan is from a company called Field Company. Um, they started as a Kickstarter a couple of years ago, and I was like, boom, I'm in because um, so vintage cast iron is is really sought after um, because vintage cast iron was manufactured differently. It used to be hand finished, so it was hand polished on the inside, which left a really smooth, almost like a glass like surface that just allowed for better nonstick capacity. When we look at newer manufacturing and Lodge falls into this category, um, they're not hand finished. And so the surface of it, they're, they're you know molded in these sand molds where they pour this molten iron into a sand mold, let it cool. And so you get this slightly pebbly um, surface yeah. on, on the Lodge cookware, which is fine. It's just not hand polished. That's like literally from the sand. Um, and, uh, that's fine. It's still great. You can still have a wonderful, like nonstick ish pan that way, but field company was like, we are a new company that wants to mimic that smooth interior finish of vintage cast iron. That's so prized. And so it's not hand polished, but it is machine, um, machined on the inside. So it's incredibly smooth. Um, on the inside. And those pans, I have two of them. And I bought my assistant one for her birthday. And then her friend bought one because she thought they're more expensive. So those pans are like 150 bucks. But if you are like, if you cook a lot, if you're a foodie, if you really like want what I think to be the best pans, Field Company, hands down. I covet their pans. Faux show. So that is awesome. I've never even heard of them. So that's, Oh, they're so great. Yeah. I love them. They even just came out. It was so funny. I just had this conversation with my assistant because we talk about cast iron pans, um, is they just came out with a new griddle, which is just like a flat round. Doesn't have a, a, an edge. So you can do pancakes and flip them really easily because there's no lip on the side of the pan. Um, and it's like, you know, $165. And I'm like, well, I have my lodge one that works perfectly fine. That was $20. <laughs> but I'm like, if somebody wanted to gift me the one from field company, the lodge one would be like, bye, you can yeah. have that yard sale. Um, <laughs> they both work great. But um, if you really wanted the best, what I think is to be the best um, is field company. Okay. Awesome. So you have given yeah. us lots of things to work with from $0 all the way up to $160. And yes. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Out of respect go. for your yeah. time, I don't want to keep asking you all the questions. Um, although I'm sure listeners want to hear from you more. So tell them where they can find more of your work. 
Yeah, um, certainly people can go to Instagram. I'm there at Environmental Toxins Nerd. There's, I think we're over a thousand posts at this point. And so there's tons of information there. Um, And feel free to pop into my DMs and say, hi, I heard you on Aaron's podcast. And that'd be great. Um, And people can go check out my website, which is lauraadler.com. If you have um, anybody here is a health professional who wants to learn more about this stuff, I definitely encourage you to check out the courses that I teach. Um, I have been um, doing these courses for 10 years now and have had over 4,000 students in like 35 different countries. So like, I'm super proud of that. And I want people to have... um, I want especially health professionals to have more fluency in this space so that they can be the resource for the people that they serve. I don't work with consumers directly. Um, That's what my Instagram is for. It's just sort of like an open platform, but my work is not for consumers and I don't, I don't want to do that work. I want health providers, health coaches, nutritionists, chiropractors, all that whole jam. Um, I want them to be able to have the, knowledge and the skill set around this topic, um, to be able to support their clients directly. Yeah. I mean, it's like the ripple effect. You're one person, yeah. right. But yeah, it I can't, I can't help all the people. And, yeah. and, you know, I, I can't help you with the gut issues or the hormone issues or the fertility issues, but that that's cause that's not what I do, but like it, to have a health provider who's like, yeah, I can help you, you know, with your fertility or with your Hashimoto's or with your digestive issues. And we're going to be far more comprehensive because we're looking at all these factors that most people aren't yet addressing. Um, I think that's really powerful from a, from a business standpoint to be able to do that. But, you know, for everybody who is not a health professional, like ask your health professionals, if they know about this, Like you can kind of be that force that pushes from the bottom, right? And I always encourage that, you know, we, this is a space where, um, like a lot of change that happens, it happens from the bottom up. It doesn't happen from regulation down because we're incredibly slow to regulate here. And so when we have consumers demanding transparency and cleaner ingredients from companies that gets them to change when we have, um, uh, clients and patients that are like, Hey, can you help me navigate like indoor air, my indoor air quality, or like these endocrine disrupting chemicals, we need to push that as well, because that's going to push the health and the medical community to kind of go, okay, we should probably look at this hopefully. Yeah. And I mean, and if your healthcare professional isn't willing to do that, get a new healthcare professional. It's like the, you know, the gastroenterologists that are still telling IBD patients that food doesn't matter. Oh my God. I know. I mean, I was laughing about this the other day with somebody because I was like, yeah, I was reminiscing about how one time I had a gynecologist who was like, oh yeah, sugar has nothing to do with yeast infections. I was like, okay, you're 150 years old. This is okay. Thank you. And then, you know, thanks. Bless and release. Yeah. Bye. And so Um, there is unfortunately still a lot of dismissive and that's like a whole other topic and, and, you know, to talk about, but, um, there's a lot of dismissiveness in this, um, space and the people that even in the medical community that dismiss the scientific literature on this typically haven't even read that literature. Mm -hmm. They haven't even read it. And so they're, they're dismissing, you know, decades of scientific research, um, that has been replicated over and over and over and over and over again, demonstrating that harm from a lot of these exposures. Um, and so 
to me, when I see health professionals that are dismissive, um, it just tells me that they're outdated and not um, open-minded. Correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, thank you so, so much. This was such a great conversation. Tons and tons of information. Your Instagram has tons and tons more information. So that's yes. certainly a place for consumers to, uh, to check out. So thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, you're so welcome. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.